the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome everybody to the show. It's Christopher Rennie for another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Holy Land. As always, I'm here with Jordan Williams for you show about the Ohio State Buckeyes as much as we can this time of year. So, how are you doing today, Jordan? Uh, man, I'm I'm doing I'm doing all right. Uh, it's my last day of freedom, as I will be spending the next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, three and a half days uh, writing uh, three papers. So, uh, just trying to live it up as best as I can. How about yourself? No, I respect that higher education, even high, you're like, so you're to the point. It's like not higher education. It's higher, higher <laughs> education. Yeah, basically. Uh, I mean, it's my, it's my second master's degree. So, uh, it's like higher hyphen higher education. Listen, I'm just, I'm just trying to make a buck. They don't pay me enough at my job. So, uh, and I don't, I don't have any, I don't like braid hair. I don't want to start a clothing line. So it's like, you know what? I can go back to school and I can get a job. I already got a job. So with the degree and I don't have it yet. So, you know, it worked out. But yes, higher dash higher education um, with a, with a sprinkling awesome. of I hate myself because why did I do this? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, hey, now you got two master's degrees and that's, that's an incredible accomplishment. So big reason to do it. Or I don't want to jump in front of put the car in front of the horse, but no, say it that way because I'm trying to get this done with no, no, no revisions. I, yeah. mean, I, I like Manifest the way you this. said it. Yeah, that's <laughs> like it. That's like it. And if it's not, uh, just give me my number. I, I got you. I got you. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I know you asked me how I'm doing. I, I was doing amazing yesterday. Uh, we record on Thursdays. You guys know this by now. Wednesday this week was 71 degrees. I was out in a t-shirt and shorts. The sun was out. The like I, I didn't want to like I didn't want to do it yesterday. I didn't want to break out the summer beers, the Modellos, the Coronas yet. It just wasn't. It didn't feel right because I knew it was going to get a little chilly again. But man, that quick little taste of just the weather. Uh, it, that's Chris season when the weather gets above 70. And you know, got a tea time Sunday. I'm really like, you know, it's nine to five life. You know, I, my, my week is what it is. And golf's back. I was watching the Netflix documentary, get excited, hit the driving range. So that hobby is going to be in full swing. No pun intended come Sunday. And I'm very excited for it. Got a fresh putter. Uh, we, we won't talk about that too loudly, but, um, gonna be a fun weekend i'm a little mad it's not 70 degrees but i know it's coming soon yeah i mean so i i don't golf but i do know just the ability to get out the house and do something that you enjoy doing you can't complain about it and even if it's not 70 yet that 55 is gonna feel like 55 feels like 70 until you actually get 70 like when you come out and win yeah, hundred you know, This winter wasn't too bad. Hopefully, we don't get that that fall spring, that one big thunderstorm. Hopefully, yeah, that snowstorm. April snow. Yeah, but I mean, I'm sure. 
I, I don't golf, but picturing what I would like to do for me, it's like getting on the grill. Like, yeah, like if I could, like if I was getting on the grill this Sunday, I would feel the exact same way you're feeling. So, no, I, I 100% understand. Yeah, I'm freaking juiced up. It's gonna be incredible, um, especially like you know, it, it's kind of sad, right? When football ends, right? You know, we've put so much of our life into like covering Ohio State, giving our fandom to our NFL teams. I, you know, it's like every day something's breaking, new news, and you know, I remember like a while ago, like without the transfer portal, without NIL, the hard deadline basically was the last national signing day. And even with that, it was not near as dramatic as it is now with all the additional stuff. And it felt like we got there and then all of a sudden winter workout started. And I'm like, you know, like these aren't actually that important to me as like someone covering the team. Like they're just working out. Yeah. Like I've got like a month or two until I really need to lock in again. <laughs> and that, that was something that I was really excited about. Like, it was like a break, and then I'm like, God, what am I going to do with my time? You know, you hang out, and you do all that stuff. And now it's like the – that, like, missing it is not as there. So it's, like, really easy to get out there and do stuff again. Yeah, for sure. And we um, – I mean – it's nice to be able to get out and do stuff, but also football is starting to happen, right? Uh, spring ball, they let us, they, well, not us, because we don't have media passes, although we probably should. I'm not going to talk about some of the people that have them, but, you know, they could give us one. But spring ball, they let us talk to uh, the freshmen, right? That hasn't happened yet, right? Uh, I think the last time you get to talk to the freshmen is their signing day. And then from then on, first-year players in the program are not allowed to speak to media until the bowl game. Oh, so that already happened then? That big one where all the freshmen yeah. get to speak? Oh, yeah, I'm so they have, like, all the whole class, 21 of them or whatever. It might be right when spring starts, but I'm pretty sure um, – yo, it's definitely right when spring starts or when a workout starts. I, I feel like it already happened. Yeah, well, I, that that tells you how locked I, how locked in I am. Uh, there's a reason that my exams are in uh, March and not, uh, you know, October. <laughs> there's, there's a reason it was set up this way. So, but yeah. Um, yeah. And I think really the like I think the big things that are happening for us right now, and this is only for some of the people that care, like me and you may care, but I, I think some of our listeners listeners probably don't care that much. It's really just all of the projected changes to the game. Like Ohio State's news is slow. Um, we're not gonna like unless they name a starter, we're not gonna hear anything about the quarterback competition. It's all gonna be good things. Like anyone who talks, they're gonna ask him and they're gonna be like, Yeah, I like both of them. They're both he's a competitor, he's a competitor, he's a leader, yeah. he's like so uh, it's really just the other things like the brings about and, flowers and positivity. Yeah, if, if we're going to finally get, you know, the, the, the projected, um, the projected rotation, uh, not rotation, but the projected members for when we're out of divisions. Like, that's the kind of stuff I think that's going to happen in the spring. But I think Ohio State, the news cycle is going to be pretty slow, which means that all of the loyal listeners just to get just get to sit here and listen to us make stuff up. It'll be interesting stuff, but, yeah. you know, made up nonetheless. Hey, that's why I took creative writing in college. <laughs> I did not take creative writing, so uh, this is I'm relying on you. <laughs> They made me. <laughs> uh, but I did. I, it was fun. It was a nice change of pace. But, yeah, no, I'm excited. Like You know, the offseason is 
a marathon. It absolutely is. I know it's funny, like watching that first week, uh, everyone trying to beat each other to the off season punch. And, you know, it's like, well, you just got all the content you wanted to do out in the first week. And now what are you going to fill the rest of these eight, nine months with? Like the only people who are routinely busy this time of year are recruiting writers. And it's not near the same as summer when the camp season's in full swing. It's not nearly as crazy as, you know, down the road once they start playing in high school again, right when they get close to making that decision. You know, a lot of big recruitment end, a lot of big recruitments end in July and August because some guys really want to get it off their plate before season starts. So even recruiting right now, it's like building the big board. It's like seeing all that stuff. And everyone was like, you know, they emptied the clip right at the start. You know what? We're going to slow burn this. We're going to have our thoughts and we're going to do stuff yeah. slowly. Like, cause that's it. Like how many times am I going to project who's going to be starting at corner? Like it's not going to change from March 2nd to like, July 30th, honestly, until fall well, camp. All you can like, do is, like, you can do it, and then you can over it, which, let's be honest, we'll probably overanalyze the spring game a little bit, but you can overanalyze who got the first snaps in the spring game and to see if you were right. But then, like you said, anything can change in fall camp. Fall camp when it really gets started. Uh, but, yeah, you know, a little slow burn. We, we knock out some stuff here and there. Uh, have some interesting content and stuff. So, I think, uh, not to be, you know, cocky or anything, but I think we get it right. And I think you were... Um, I don't know. All of a sudden, I think I have beef with recruiting writers. I've, I've been on a real negative end within the last couple of weeks, maybe months or so. But you were a little generous with them being busy because literally all I see with recruiting writers is 2024 prospects scheduled a visit in March. 2025 prospects yeah, scheduled a visit in April. This prospect scheduled a visit. And it's just like, bro, I, this doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> like, like it's, yeah, the greatest thing for recruiting writers is they could you get like that's like don't get me wrong, building those relationships, like the best recruiting writers have those relationships with the players that make it interesting, but most of it is copy and paste like and this isn't like it's hard. It's hard to keep up with all the information. That's a big part of the job, but like I love the templated writing it provides and I think it, it is really sometimes like you know like you're busy and you're doing it but it's it's okay like sometimes and we joke about it all the time recruiting writers uh, at times have the easiest job in the world because from the time a player is scheduling a visit to the time he actually gets there that's so much time to like you know guess yeah. like it's you get all the guests working there you get all the people asking questions this is going to commit and i that's my favorite part when i put the recruiting hat on you're just like you know yeah absolutely good commit by then and then boom you're like but you know we've seen this before things can change and then you're you're an elite recruiting <laughs> i just broke the just broke the code for you yeah, guys for sure i the hardest part in my opinion about being a recruiting writer has to be following a bunch of 16 17 and 8 year olds it's 18 year olds on twitter because I God, like how many like like how many of their tweets do you have to like like say I, I don't want to sound salty or old or anything like that, but like I don't know, like get me to 10k seeing those tweets and those like yeah 
posts. I'm just like, I'm, I'm not above sounding. Yeah, I'm right. not above sounding salty and old. I've accepted it because I work with 18 year olds every day, and that is a humbling experience. Like literally, I was having a conversation with them about music with a couple of my students about music, two separate conversations, and I mentioned an artist who I thought everyone knew, and they had no idea who I was talking about. And then they mentioned an artist, and I was like, what? What? And I love music. I listen to music all the time. And I listen to this, but it's just like, no, we just didn't connect. And I'm just like, okay, if I'm out of like the music scene, I'm old. And like one of them, they yeah. thought I said I listen to NBA Youngboy, and I don't. But their reaction when they thought that I listened to him was a little disrespectful. They were like, you listen Kinda to hurts. NBA Youngboy? And I was just like, no, but. Why would it surprise you if I did? So I'm, you know what? I'm fine with being old. I'm uh, I'm fine with living that life. And yeah. I don't want to follow a whole bunch of 17-year-olds on Twitter and hope that, like, Take of their 10 tweets a day, that it's going to be one that's about recruiting. Well, and that's the thing. Like, none of that, they never actually tweet important stuff about recruiting, honestly. Like, you get the location pin sometimes. You get uh, the visit scheduled graphics sometimes. But overall, it's, like, literally just, like, retweets of other players. And I think that's all cool and good and stuff. But, like, man, you got to have tweet notifications on. And you literally have to be – like, that's the, that's the phone job. Like, if you're covering recruiting, you're on your phone at all times. And that – takes a different kind of person it is probably uh, i mean it's the reason there's like a reason they're paid well and there's a reason because it's a lot of work it's a lot of leg hours and it's very uh it is very timely when you have to build the sourcing when you have to build those relationships and once you get those things built like then it becomes like a job where it's like oh cool like this is fun now but like the work to get to that point is why it's so challenging. And then, you know, like me and you, we are really good once we like get involved and get into that current class, like 2024, like we're coming, we're going to come strong soon. Don't worry. But yeah, 2025, 2026, like there's guys who are already building those relationships and that's incredible and good for them. And more power to you, and thank you for the information. I, I just, I just can't care right now. But this recruiting, it won't last until March before the recruiting hat comes on. And I have a take that I'm ready to put out there when we're out there. Uh, so yeah, I was, it, it's what I texted you about the other day. Uh, Ryan Day's not beating the Chargers. It's not really a take. I'm more like I watch that player's highlight tape, which I never do. I never watch highlight tapes. It, I just don't care that much. You're just going to put your best plays out there. And I was like, no lie, I gasped at a couple of plays. I was like, oh, my God. So I'm going to leave it alone. That's not a Today Show. But, w- you know, whenever we get to recruiting, that's going to yeah. be the first thing on the list. I'm very excited to uh, – yeah, I, I think my favorite article I've written this offseason was my piece about how Julian Sand is exactly Kyle McCord, is exactly Devin Brown, is exactly uh, Lincoln Keynells. And I got a gif of each uh, – gif, gif? I, I never – I'm going to say gif uh, – of each quarterback doing like a couple things. And then I'd like show it side by side with Julian Sand. I'm like, there's a reason Ryan Day just offered this kid, and it's because – Look at they're all 62, they're all 185 to 205 pounds and they all sling the ball around the yard like crazy. And it was honestly like I went into it I'm like odds are I don't find something like 
super crazy. And then I got in there and I'm like, these are the exact same plays on each highlight tape. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Ryan Day has a type, and he is not afraid of going after uh, a quote-unquote lower-rated quarterback, i.e., like hundred and not a five-star, to f- get the type that he wants. Uh, which you know, yeah, benefit right. I think that is a good thing. You go get the quarterback that fits your style and not just the number, because a lot of these five-star quarterbacks they bust for whatever reason. But um, yeah, he's not being well. Most of the time, it's because they don't choose schools like Ohio State. Yeah. Uh, Nico, I'm, I'm, but, I'm watching you, Nico. At Tennessee, Nico's gonna be fine, dude. He's he's in the most quarterback friendly offense in the world. Yeah, you're right. You know, <laughs> you, need, you need to know like six plays and be able to like throw it deep or throw a check down, and you're yeah. good. You can play Josh Heupel's he's gonna, ultra he's fast gonna offense play for sure. Yeah, it, I, I do think it's like only like, and this might like I don't know why the Sooner Ohio State fans. I don't think there's any like rich history between Ohio State and Tennessee, but I feel like Tennessee's gonna have eyes winning quarterback with Heupel there. Yeah, it's gonna be Nico. I, I, I genuinely believe yeah, it's and, gonna be. Um, I mean, like they wanted what's his name? Uh, what's his name? What is his name? Oh my gosh, the quarterback this year might have won it if he didn't get injured. Hendon Hooker. Yeah, I think if he. Well, I don't know. He had that game against South Carolina that was pretty brutal before he yeah, got hurt. Yeah, but they gave it to the wide receiver, and I'm In not going to say that he deserved that. Yeah. Okay, he, okay you're right. Caleb, the way Caleb ended, he may not have won, but he would probably would have been on the podium. Yeah. So He would have been there, for Josh sure. Heifel was definitely going to have I mean, I genuinely think it's going to be Nico, and, and who knows if this develops in the league. But, yeah, I mean, as far as college quarterbacks, it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I might regret saying this now, but I'm actually really excited to watch Big Show Joe Milton yeah, uh, play at Tennessee. I think, like, don't get me wrong, like, he is inaccurate. He is very scattershot, but he has a cannon arm, and he is gigantic and likes to run. Like, there's nothing more fun than watching a 6'5 quarterback who chucks balls. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, you know what I'm going to regret it the most is when – He's uncorking like 60-yard throws and completing them, but he's going 13 for like 31. And NFL draft scouts are like, but the tangible stuff. Like, look at that arm strength. You can't teach that. And that's when I'm going to be very much regretting what I just said. Yeah, but uh, so here's the thing. I'm going to I'm gonna defend you here for a second. It's hard to be inaccurate when you only throw three throws, right? Michigan, you like yeah. it's not the most advanced offense in the world, but you got more than three. You got to be able to throw a good eight or nine. You got to throw hitches, out routes, RPOs, that kind of stuff. When you're throwing a seam, a comeback, and maybe an in route or whatever they want to call it, like you can just practice those three. So I, I think the inaccuracy is not going to show as bad. Um, but, you know. Yeah, there's there's no layering throws in Tennessee's yeah. offense. It's either deep ball or rocket. And that's why Hendon Hooker was great in there. Um, but, yeah, speaking of draft people, I think it's time to get down to business. Um, the NFL Combine's here. Um, we've got some chatter. Ohio State's got – I'm doing the math in my head. I wrote this down yesterday. Seven or eight guys. You know, the one thing that surprised me, and this isn't to, like, knock him, but I was surprised when I was going through it that Cam Brown was invited to the Combine. Like, 
he's lucky. No, I don't want to say lucky. I mean, he's an Ohio State guy, so I guess that plays a part in it. But I was I was a little surprised just seeing where he's like projected. Like a lot of people have him day three, and like you know, <sighs> there are some really talented corners at other levels, and I just think I, it's awesome for him. I just want that to be very clear. I was just a little. He was like the most surprising of the list I saw that was invited to Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh... He can make some money this week too, because he is fast. Like before his Achilles injury, everyone on the team said he was a fast player. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing with Cam Brown, right, that's who we're talking about, is he just doesn't find the ball. We've been saying it for years. He, I've like being honest, I can't count the number of times he's been out of position. Like, like I can't count the number of times in my. I'm saying this the wrong way. I can't count on more than two hands in his entire career the number of times he wasn't near the guy, like where he was just getting broke off. Yeah. He wasn't defending him, anything like that. Like he's he's almost always glued to their hip. He just he 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 at the point of attack, he's ass. He's garbage. And if the NFL can teach that, I think he's gonna be a solid corner. He's probably like a number three corner, right? Maybe a number two corner across a, a, a stud, which was part of the issue at Ohio State because he had to be the number one relatively. But I think he can be successful because, yeah. like you said, he's fast. His coverage is, in my opinion, legitimately he's sticky he's, in coverage. But when that ball he's got comes, the when that ball, he just loses it. He's he's always on the and ground. Hilarious. He's like flailing his arms, and it's just like, come, bro, like you're right there. Like you, you are a lot right of that there. Does come from confidence, and I do think the injuries impacted that because his first year when he was like he wasn't a starter, he was the third guy between behind Arnett and Akuda. Um, he was really good. He was a really good third option, and I think that's why so many people, myself included, had incredibly high hopes for him as he came back. And then, you know, the injury happened, and then he came back from that, and he wasn't great. And then this year he battled injuries again. So I I wrote in my article about the combine, like for Cam Brown, it's number one, proving his medical history is more flukes than it is like, you know, say like rupturing your Achilles is pretty fluky, but that is something that can impact you later. Uh, Breaking your hand in the middle of the season, like there's like that's not like really always something you could control. Um, And he needed surgery. He had to get a pin put in his finger. So like – um, that's not like, and we found that out about an Insta, by an Instagram story. So that's, that was funny about that. But I think he is one of those guys, like he just needs the opportunity and he's going to surprise a lot of people. Very similarly to Noah Brown, where it's like, why is this guy like Cam Brown didn't really have the same choice, but like, why'd that guy go to the draft? And now he's been on the Cowboys for like six, seven years. And I think that kind of unknownness, like why, like, I think that could really, aid him in his NFL pursuit because he's not coming in with high expectations, right? So if he could show like that ceiling that a lot of people projected and believed he had to an NFL team, evaluating him, I think he's going to be I think he's going to be, he's going to find himself. Yeah. I think that the biggest thing for him is going to be getting with a coach who can uh, teach uh, him how to that one, get that confidence up. You can't teach confidence, but you know, encourage him and get that confidence up and who can teach him the technique of balls. Like ball skills is not necessarily inherent. Like I do believe that that is something you can teach fighting through the hands, that kind of stuff. Cause at the end of the day, when you're at the NFL, 
most of the wide receivers are ball winners. Um, so yeah. that, like that's going to be a thing. Like, I mean, if you can't do it at Ohio State, what are you going to do if you have to get massed up against DK Metcalf? And like, maybe he's not going to get DK because he's the number one. But if he plays the Bengals, he's going to get T Higgins, who is the number two, and he's a ball winner. So it's like, you know, yeah. it's just. That's going to be the biggest area. He'll probably fall to like the third or fourth round. I do think he's going to get drafted. Um, But like you said, I think Noah Brown is a good one. I think, um, oh my gosh, who's the pass rusher for the Broncos that everyone's mad about because he had a bet? Baron Browning, Browning, something like that. Like if he goes to the right place and they unlock him, and it's just like, so we don't have to get into that. I disagree. But uh, I think. I think with Baron Browning, he should have been cross-trained as an edge rusher and as an outside linebacker. And because there's like traits, like I was talking about Zach Harrison today on Twitter. I, I, I didn't mean to be rude about it, but he's the most freakish athlete with no bend I've ever seen. And Baron Browning's all bend, like you can see it. And I don't know where the evaluation comes in that you don't see. So that. the reason why I disagree is solely, and you know, like I went on a rant about this like 17 times last year, so I won't get stuck on it. The, the style of play he plays in the NFL doesn't match what Ohio state does. So I don't think they knew no. that he could do that because we don't run a three, four. And so like, he's yeah, not yeah, big he, enough to he be been. an actual four, three defensive lineman. He doesn't put his hand in the dirt in the NFL. So it's just like, and here's the thing. Like, I know people think when you get to the league, you don't get better, but like, those are some of the best coaches in the world. So I don't think he was misused at Ohio state. I think he just went to a better situation and they unlocked something. If he was at Alabama, yeah. he probably yeah. would have been there. One of the best but we just don't run a, we don't run a three, four. So like, you can't like, Think about our DNs: Chase Young, six five; Nick Bosa, six five; Nick Young, uh, Nick uh, Joey Bosa, six foot. Whatever it is, like he's not that. They're two sixty, two seventy, two eighty. So I think that I don't yeah. think he was misused. I, I think that's one of those things where it's just like he doesn't. That skill set didn't fit what we did, and he's one of those players where I'm glad it worked out in the league. But he probably shouldn't have come to Ohio State. Just like me and you talked about with JT, we were like, I feel like JT's going to yeah, come to Ohio State fit. over Alabama because they're not going to use him right, and he did. With that skill set, and maybe he didn't even know he had that because he did play traditional linebacker in high school. But with that skill set, he should have been out of Alabama or Georgia or something like that where they run a 3-4. So I don't think he was missing. Yeah, it's just it is. like you can't create a position it for him. That, it's, it's just, that's not what we That do. Baron Browning is basically Will Anderson now. Yeah. And it's great. That's what I'm but saying. I, yeah, I just, I mean, I don't think he was misused. I just think, like, we run a 4-3. And honestly, the issue, his issue is the issue that the Buckeyes have had forever is they don't recruit the right players. They get good players, but they don't recruit positions. They they switch to this athlete model for some reason. And then they never put players in the right position. And they're still struggling with that on the defense now. But, yeah, I don't think he was misused. I just think he went to the better league with better coaches where football was his number one job and he didn't have classes and all this other kind of stuff. And they unlocked something. Michael Parsons is better in the NFL. I mean, like, because if that's the case, can pull up most Yeah, Michael Parsons is crazy because he was a middle linebacker in college. He was dropping it in the coverage. He was was damn near playing safety. Yeah, he was playing true middle line. He was basically like he was doing the same role as Tommy Eichenberg. Like that's what he was doing. And now in the NFL, he's basically a pass rusher. And that's what he so, does. Yeah. 
game disruptor. That's what they like to call him. So, I mean, I just think like sometimes we forget that like you can go to the NFL and get better. Like, yeah, you know, I think it's very on brand with our show that I have like a bunch of notes and like Cam Brown didn't even make the cut, but we <laughs> started with Cam yeah, Brown. I mean, we just, the notes are suggestions. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're, yeah. they're guides. Right. Back to the guide. Um, uh, Zach Harrison chose not to run. Um, I'm pissed, but I'm also, so I'm pissed because like selfishly, mm. I've heard the stories, right? The Paul Bunyan stories. This guy's a 4-4 runner. This guy runs 4-5s. All these beat riders. Multiple years. Like, hey, this guy is one of the fastest guys on the team. And don't get me wrong. He's hawked down some people before. He's really fast side to side. And, like, it's great. But 270 running a 4-4, that's, like, not real. Because, what, the fastest defensive line time today was the Georgia defender. And he's, like, the 3-4 type of guy we talked about where he's not truly, like – an a big defensive end. He's definitely a little bit leaner. Like so, Smith? Okay. Yeah. He, he's like, yeah. He's not like, he's not built like a true traditional four or three defense. end. he's like that outside. He's an outside line. He's a stand up end and he's like 250 pounds. So four, four with that is possible Four four two seven. Like you're just adding so much weight to the frame that it's not possible, but Man, if Zach Harrison, who weighed in at 270-something, ran that fast, he'd be a first-round pick tomorrow. Or, like, he'd be a first-round pick no matter what happened. And I respect him for saving it for pro day. But also, I was thinking about this, and we talked about this pre-show. If you've got Paul Bunyan stories, why would you ruin them? Honestly. Um, and I think it's another one. Like, we talk about this a lot with, like, quarterbacks and things like that. Like, Bryce Young is doing that, um, where he's not throwing and stuff because he wants to weigh in at his heaviest, and then he's going to lose weight, and he's going to run and throw. It could be something like like that, because I'm not going to sit here and say that Zach is the strongest person. So maybe he was like, he put on some weight, and he, you know, wanted to do good in the, uh, you know, the bench and that kind of stuff. And then he's going to shed some of that weight and and run at Ohio, uh, the pro day. Or you could have tweaked yeah. something. Who knows? I mean, hopefully not. You never want injuries um, when you're trying to get ready for the combine and draft evaluations, things like that. But it does kind of suck. It yeah, would have been nice to actually see that, right? Like, it would have been nice to be like, okay, this is his actual time. Yeah, for sure. And that would like, that's the only reason, like, he was going to jump well. His vertical is probably going to be insane, right? Like, I think he is a freak athlete. And it's absurd because he is such a good athlete and he is like we've seen it the way he's able to move once the ball like against it's what makes him such a good run defender like at his position. He's able to explode. He's able to put his foot on the ground. He's able to go once he gets off a block. Um, but uh, his broad jump probably would have been close to 10 feet. His high jump, if people weren't lying, was probably going to be like 36 inches. Uh I know, and this is where it would have lost his. This is where it would have all gotten lost. Was that three cone drill, the L drill, the pass rusher drill? Because despite Zach Harrison being one of the fastest, one of the most explosive players at the position, he's too long to be bendy. Yeah, he just doesn't bend well, and that's why. That's why we think he should move into the three technique. That's why we've been saying that for so long. And you know who should draft him as the three technique. The Chicago. You say the Colts. 
Oh, the and you want to yeah. know why they should draft him as a threes technique? So people can stop trying to say that they're going <laughs> to trade for this Forrest Buckner. Unless they draft Will Levis, they 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 the the part one of my checklist they completed because they didn't they didn't draft Saturday, so they didn't uh, hire Saturday. So I'm still a Colts fan. I don't need people trying to uh, trade the Forrest Buckner away. So in that second round, that first pick, get him, put him at your three technique. I think that's going to be perfect. And I'm putting it on the record. If he plays three technique, because it's not guaranteed, if he plays three technique, he is going to reach at least three Pro Bowls in his career. And that is a good number. Like He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. So like for like a regular average type player, getting to three, maybe like one or two legit, and then a replacement, like that's a career. That's a career. I think he, like, he could play a long yeah. time, make a couple of Pro Bowls. So Be very respected by your fan base yeah, if you do that. absolutely. Um, I, I think that is what he needs to do. Um, he needs to be a three tech. Yeah, no, I'd be – very pro. I think in those three fours, I think he could be a very good big defensive end as well. Um, I just think, like, and I hate saying this because I think he's going to have a solid career. Like he's got so many good and tan or tangible things, like his length, his hands. He's really good at getting his hands up when quarterbacks throw, which is a skill. And it's just a team that bets on him as like a four three pass rusher. I know one's going to draft him for his pass rush acumen. That's the truth. And I just – I think he needs – they need to – like this is what NFL teams are great at, and this is sometimes what college coaches struggle with when they're building their roster. They draft for traits, and they draft for positional projection. And if they can project him playing at a position, and the difference is they're going to pay him a lot of money. Um, he was getting paid at Ohio State to move positions. Um, but I'm sure, like, you know, hey, you dominated against Iowa at the three technique. We'll give you a $100,000 NIL deal if you stay there. Well, I don't know how the coaches would feel about that. But the NFL is like, hey, I'm the coach. The GM pays you. You're playing three technique. That's what's going to happen. Can't say no. No, for sure. I mean, I think I, he got a little taste of it. I don't think he's going to be against it. Uh, Ohio State listens to our podcast. They put him there a little bit. There's a little bit of a log jam there with some older guys. So they didn't keep them there as much. But um, we can take some credit that after we said that, it did happen a little bit. Um, Might have been one of the smartest things we yeah, said. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I think that um, I think that, that is – pretty likely to happen and if it doesn't happen his best case scenario is Jadavian Clowney now better for him than Clowney he's not going to enter the league with the hype that Jadavian Clowney did because Jadavian Clowney went number one and if you look at his draft position Jadavian Clowney's probably a bust as a number one pick but he's going on like his 10th year in the league and he's always yeah. on a team because he's not a good pass rusher because it's the same thing he's like six. He's yeah, like he's six like, foot twelve, and he has no bend. But you know what he is—a great run defender. And so, if you can put him yeah. opposite of a good pass rusher like the Browns did, uh, and like Houston did with JJ Watt, and some of those things, yeah, he's gonna have a really good career. And, and, and I'm not saying he's gonna be Jadavian Clowney. I'm saying that if they keep him at 
you know, defensive end, that's going to be his mold. He's going to be a number two guy. It's going yeah. to be the traditional SCO football. It's going to be we have a like people have gone away from it now because people want two pass rushers and things like that. But like 10, 15 years ago, it was you have one stud pass rusher and then you have a run defender on the other side. And that's essentially what he's going to be in the league if they don't put him in three tech. But if he's a three tech, I think he's going to be an above average pass rusher because of his length and things like that. He's going to get on guard really quickly yeah absolutely and that's the thing like one of the things i wrote about in my combine article was luke whipler's arm measurements because i think that's gonna be a huge thing is he gonna project as an only center because he's got short arms or is he gonna be able to play guard because he has some length to him um i think he's going to have the length but that's where the link comes into play. You get a three tech like DeForest Buckner, like Zach Harrison with those long arms. Like it's going to be hard for guards to get their hands on them. And I think that is why I project him personally as a three tech and it's going to be scary season. When he is. Yeah. I, I'm telling you now, if the bears draft him, um, you're never going to hear me shut up. Cause that's like a, you know, that's a very interesting projection, but I, it, to me, it makes sense, right? You get, you know, you get whoever you can in the first round. You trade down whatever you do. Maybe you get that second first round pick or whatever, and then at pick whatever it is in the second round, if he fell and he's going to test well, that's a position that they need. And part of the reason I'm saying this is the Bears head coach was the Colts' former defensive coordinator. He's the reason they traded for DeForest Buckner. He likes that body type as his three technique, and he has quoted saying that the three technique is the heart of his defense. So not maybe not everyone yeah. would see that, but I could very easily see him being like, this is DeForest Buckner. And I'm pretty sure DeForest Buckner played defensive end in college at Oregon. Did he not? That uh, could be wrong, out. but I don't think he was a full time defensive tackle. Um, so let's chat GPT this <laughs> uh, In college, Trooper, he finished. Uh, yeah, we'll go to his CFB reference page. Wikipedia was no help there. Uh, yeah, but I agree. I think he is uh, just a really talented player. It says DL. Um, yeah. I'm sure he moved around with how talented he was for sure. But, but um, um, yeah, I think it's a big projection. I think we'll be, I think we'll be right on with it. Um, yeah, let's get to Jackson Smith and Jig. But I don't think we need to spend much time here. I think people are very much putting a lot of weight on his 40 times. So that's why I asked the question. I think he runs in the four or fives. Um, I I don't know where you think he runs. But and the reality of it is, is his short area quickness is what makes him special. His separation, his ability to do that. And you're not drafting Jackson Smith and Jigba because he's going to be Tyreek Kill. He's, you're drafting Jackson Smith and Jigba because he put up 1,600 yards and had a 300-yard receiving game, which people just don't do. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've seen a lot of criticism on him and things like that. And, and people were like, oh, my God. <laughs> was the third wide receiver in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Okay, first of all, they all said he was the best route runner on the team. But even if he was the third wide receiver to them, both of them had a thousand yard receiving yards in their rookie year, which literally never happens. That wide receiver is the hardest position to translate to in the NFL outside of maybe like 
center or something like that because you have to be able to run routes, the timing, and you are getting like pushed around by grown ass men. So there's a reason why receivers, no matter how highly recruited they, how highly drafted they are, they almost never reach a thousand yards. So that is not a diss to him to say he was the third wide receiver to two wide receivers who could immediately become the best wide receiver on their team in their rookie season. And they said that he was the best route runner on the team. And so I also don't understand this like shift where a four five is slow. Like I get it's not a four three, yeah. it's not a four, but like that 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 is fast enough, right? Like not all these guys are running that. And when you couple his route running ability and you couple his ability to work work in space. It's like he didn't look slow to me. There's only one time in his career I remember him getting he didn't look slow against Nebraska. And unfortunately, he did fumble that, but that's the only time in my career in his career I remember him getting caught. He went off the gas so there. Like he was fast he enough, so it was who another first round yeah. pick. Honestly, I think he's probably going to get picked in the second round, and then he's going to be the best wide receiver in the draft. Because I, I just, I you can, know, maybe, yeah, maybe that's convincing. who the Bears take with the next. I was one. just going to say that I just didn't want to keep promoting the Bears. That's who Justin Fields said he wanted to draft. Uh, he's like, hopefully we get Jackson with our second yeah. pick. So, hey. I'm gonna speak. I'm speaking. So I hope he does run. Know, I hope we're both. I hope he runs like a four, the fence. five, eight, and falls to the Bears, and then is the yeah. best receiver in the draft. I know we're both on the fence with our current fan base situations, and we're very ready to jump on the Chicago train. Um, so yeah, Jackson Smith and Jigba goes. That just adds another element of fuel to that fire, and I'm very, very intrigued by yeah. it. I'm officially um, a Chicago Bears fan. The question I, becomes the, if I'm solely a Chicago Bears fan or if I'm going to, like, manage two fandoms. I will have a Justin Fields jersey yeah. before this year's up, yeah. and it would be the first jersey I've ever bought. Could I have a coach jersey, but I want it in a competition because they're, like, $200, and that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, yeah, I don't. I think the, the emphasis put on 40s is crazy. You know, it – is hard because you know both uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave ran four threes and then put up thousand yard seasons. Jameson Williams, you know, I don't think he didn't run his forty because ACL injury. He didn't need to run a forty. We all knew he was fast. Um, I just think, really, really think about it. Receiver is not built on running four threes. Like we've talked about this so many times, and. It's about creating separation. Like, you know how many receivers have ran forth? Jalen Rager is the greatest example recently of one of those guys who was an absolute combine freak, got overdrafted, and was a bust immediately. Do the Eagles even still have him? I don't even remember where uh, he's at the, now. Who's the guy that the Bengals drafted? Uh I don't remember his name, but he was a crazy bust. He was supposed to be a four-two. Uh, the Patriots, uh, the guy from Washington. What's his name? We got a lot of Bengals fans listening. John Ross. John Ross. Uh, the, the Patriots got Tyquan Thornton. Uh, he didn't do anything. Um, and Q Harry, yeah. the Patriots drafted. <laughs> he was a freak at the like, combine. Didn't do anything. You can be fast, like Laquan Treadwell was a freak at the combine. Be, like you said, it's about separation. It's about being able. To catch the ball in traffic. There's a reason DK Metcalf struggles, and it's because all he could do is run straight and be big. 
And also, like, there's a reason Tyreek Hill is one of the best wide receivers in the league, and it's not because he's fast. People forget how good of a route runner he is because he's fast, yeah. but he is a legitimate route runner who just happens Legit. to be ridiculously fast. One of the fastest people to ever live in the NFL. Um, it, it's it, Speed is great, but it is not how you should evaluate yeah. a receiver. Especially if you can't. The greatest receiver of all time is Jerry Rice, and he was considered yeah. slow. I think I, I think there are two things that, that, aside from the ability to catch the ball, right, the two biggest things, in my opinion, in a wide receiver is the ability to separation and the uh, the ability to change speeds. Because if you run a 4-2, but you can't slow down to break for an in route or to hit a comeback or anything like that without chopping your feet 100 times, your speed doesn't matter. It doesn't do anything for you. Like, you, you have to be able to create right separation, and you have to be able to, like, manage your speeds. You got to slow it down. You got to pick it up. You got to be able to break in and out of cuts. And that's, like, you need to be – that 4-2 needs to be a 4-5 when it's time to hit that in route. Yeah, 100%. That's what I used to always tell my coaches. I might be a little slow, but, like, I'm going to get in and out of my cuts better. Because <laughs> I don't have to stop as fast. Yeah, and the best ones are the ones who are fast and can do that, like Chris Olave. So, yeah. And that's where I kind of fell apart. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, I'm excited. I love Jackson. I'm excited to see him run. I think he's been one of my favorite players of recent memory. That whole receiving group, like, you just booked them. They're probably in my top five. No, they're all in the top ten of my – Favorite Ohio State players of my lifetime. Uh, it was incredible. Um, all right. Um, I don't know. We'll jump to the break real quick. We'll finish our combine conversation on the other side. We've got some hand signs to talk about. We've got CJ Stroud. We've got the um, other stories. And really, I think we've kind of covered them all. So I think that'll be short. But we'll see you guys after the end. Welcome back in, everybody. It's your host, Christopher Ready for another episode of the Buck Off Podcast, Land Grant Holy Land. How you guys doing today? I'm here with Jordan, and we're talking the NFL Combine. Hope you guys are enjoying the show so far. Um, CJ Stroud, we haven't mentioned him yet. The quarterbacks, they interview, they do all their stuff. Um, this is um, the biggest weekend. I'd say this is the biggest weekend for quarterbacks, you know, not on the field. This is honestly the biggest weekend for them in meeting coaches because they meet everybody. They interview with almost everybody. And this is really where relationships are built. Um, this is like where Kyle Shanahan started really falling in love with Trey Lance was at the NFL combine just from their meetings together. And I think that is such an underrated part about quarterbacks drafting, how the personalities mesh with the head coach, how the personalities mesh with the offensive play callers. And I think there is so much that goes into evaluating the quarterbacks. I made the joke about hand size before we go. I'm a little nervous, man. I, I don't know. You think CJ Stroud's going to, I think he's going to break the nine inch threshold. Um, don't clip that. Um <laughs> Uh, and I think I think his hands are going to be plenty big enough. Don't clip that either. Um, and uh, you know Joe Burrow nine and a quarter. Um, I think, goddamn it, uh, 
I got your guys' mind there now. My mind's there. Um, but yeah, I think his hands are going to be plenty big. Yeah. Keep so I have a I have a hard time with this because I never know if I'm being biased or not. But is Bryce Young really better than than CJ Stroud? He's not. I'm not. I really dived into it. Um, I was talking about the quarterbacks on the Behind the Steel Curtain Network. They needed an Ohio State guest. They want to talk to someone from Land Grant Holy Land. I stepped up to the plate, and they asked me that same question. And I really thought about it there, and I looked into some stats. Um, just look at their best performance against Georgia. You take away um, Jameson Williams' like 80-yard touchdown against them in the conference championship, and you put those numbers together. Um, CJ and Bryce were basically identical, and one is 6'3", 220, and the other is – I don't think he measured it at, five, at six feet tall, and he – I don't think he's measured yet because they will be all over Twitter, but he's he's going to be – he's, he's going to ho- – he's hoping to hit 5'11". He's probably 5'10". Yeah. And he is going to weigh in at like 191 pounds, and it's going to be a misleading 191 pounds because there is absolutely no. Yeah, and, and and so here's my thing, right? And again, I'm always worried that I'm biased, but I've watched most of their games, and I fancy myself a, a slight draft analyst, like I mentioned last podcast. I want to get into that some more, and I'm I'm going to be cocky for a second. I don't typically miss on quarterbacks. Because I'm not getting paid millions of dollars to like buy into the hype, so like I get to be like you know uh, objective. Yeah. And my biggest concern with Bryce Young is he doesn't play well in structure, in my opinion. There's not many times, and I know Alabama's offensive line took a step back, but they still have a, a tackle who people are saying maybe the first tackle off the board. It wasn't that bad. Um, and my biggest thing is, like, I didn't see him play well in structure a lot. He made some great throws, but it was almost always after he ran out of the pocket and then he reset his feet and things like that. And you just don't have time to do that in the NFL. And yeah. I know people say that, like, and, and, and here's why I think people think that he's better. The NFL is infat- infatuated with super mobile quarterbacks. You don't have to be a runner because Josh Allen is not the best runner in the world, but he's super mobile and he can make plays on the run. And like hand to the table, like Bryce Young is better at that specific trait than CJ Stroud. No doubt about it. Even the fact, even though I know, and he showed in the Georgia game that he can do it, that is Bryce Young's thing. He's much better than that, that thing. Always done it. But if that is the reason you're drafting him, I think you're going to be severely disappointed. And not just the size and all that other kind of stuff. I just don't genuinely think he's that much better of a quarterback than Stroud. When you add in the size, I would take Stroud better. But I also think it's slightly a preference thing and some things like that. But it's just like, I just don't understand how you watch all the quarterbacks that are successful. And it's reading the defense, making plays from the pocket. Like, Patrick Mahomes can run, but most of his plays happen from the pocket. Making plays from the pocket, layering passes, like pinpoint accuracy, all of these things, and Stroud has it, and they're like, "Mm, he doesn't run enough. And it's like, but then when you run a lot, i.e. Justin Fields and Lamar – Lamar Jackson, Jackson, because you were running that. So it's like, do you want to run? And and 
I'm not entirely saying that Bryce Young is a running quarterback. He's not. He doesn't run often. He just, you know, makes plays. But it's just like we saw that with Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow thought that he could just constantly make plays out the pocket because that's what he did at LSU. And he got beat up. And what does Joe Burrow do now? He's a pocket quarterback. He runs when he has to. But Joe Burrow plays similar to Bryce Young and that Joe Burrow would run out the pocket for no reason, reset his feet and throw the ball downfield. And again, I just said it. Sorry for repeating myself. I do this. Immediately in the NFL, he got out the pocket and was taking them hits. And he said, you know what? That pocket's looking mighty comfortable. That that pocket. That, yeah. that pocket, and that was the offensive line. So it wasn't that comfortable. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So I just feel like, like, and I am not trying to disparage Bryce Young. I think he's a really good quarterback. I wouldn't draft him no matter what because of the size. Um, I, I think it's. I think we're both on the same page. I think it's less I, – I think, like, so many people, mostly college football people who really suck at this, they made it a consensus. They're like, he's the best quarterback. Who is the best quarterback? Like, there were a lot of games this year where I watched. And don't get me wrong. He'll pull out the incredible play. But there were, Texas. like – Texas. Like, there – He won yeah, the game. He was like, bad. He was bad, like, three quarters of that game. He made, like – Two big throws at the end. You know, his first year starting, he had John Mechie, uh not John Mechie, who's the other guy? It was J- Jalen Waddle. No, it, it was, was John Mechie. Mechie. Yeah. Uh Slade Bolden, uh, like not like probably not an NFL guy, but he's really good college receiver. And then Jameson Williams. So <laughs> he was better in structure and that year. But this year, like the only game where he really stood out in the structure was his final game. But against even Kansas still, State. it wasn't that great in structure. Then a lot of that stuff to Jameson Williams was late. It was like, oh, let me run around. And yeah. again, I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but the NFL is about playing in structure. Yeah, like look at Josh Allen when he was out of structure, they lost to the Bengals, right? Um, when you look at the Arizona Cardinals, why does their offense struggle so often? It's because Kyler Murray cannot pl- make plays in structure. He cannot keep the sticks moving. He cannot throw on time at two point seven seconds when the pass. And what is the biggest there. concern about but, Justin Fields right now? It's like, okay, you showed the running, you showed the deep field passing. Can you play in structure? Can you hit a slant? Can you hit a quick out? The quick game stuff like that is what he needs to work on. So it's like. I just like I don't understand how you always have these things and it's just like you just forget it when the next guy comes in. I get it. You draft for traits, but like if you're drafting for traits, I still don't think it's Bryce Young. I think Levy's and I think Anthony Richardson have better yeah. traits. Like, <laughs> I would just, draft them, but like, like, but just, like you're right. If you're drafting for traits, draft like that's who you would draft. Six four guys who weigh two hundred thirty pounds and could uncork a football like seventy yards, like. Can't teach that. And Young isn't big. He's mobile. He's got some intangible playmaking stuff you can't sure. teach. But we've seen guys like that. And, like, to lesser of extent, Baker Mayfield, undersized quarterback who made plays outside the pocket. Johnny Manziel, first-round pick, made plays outside the pocket. Like, there is, like, a recent history. Like, honestly, I'm going to go on a limb. Like, Kyler Murray's probably been the best of those types of quarterbacks. But – Still, like, leaves a lot to be desired. And is Bryce Young better than Kyler Murray? I don't think so. I don't think he's. I don't think he's better than Kyler Murray, and I don't think he's a better prospect. If they were in the same draft, Kyler Murray would be the number one pick. Yeah, absolutely. Justin Fields says a lot. I love CJ Stroud. Justin Fields would be the number one pick in this draft. It's just. It's just. 
What if you're if you're so this is what the NFL decision makers always forget. If you're banking your immediate future, because that's coaches, they need to win this year. They need to win now. If you're a GM, you're banking your immediate future. Yes, upside's important, but upside might not be reached, right? You might not reach that ceiling that you think you see in this guy. I would always draft for floor. It's why going all the way back. I was Jared Goff over Carson Wentz. It's like why I was the Joe Burrow guy. It's why Jared Goff. it's Jared Goff, right? It's because there are things you do well in the system that you can't teach or like that. It's harder to learn once you get later in your career, once the habits are formed up. And that's why, that's why I don't understand the hype with Anthony Richardson. Like, don't get me wrong. The physical talent is there. He has done some things that most people can't, but I was talking about this the other day on Twitter. Like there was a stretch in a game against Florida state where he had 12 consecutive incompletions and draft analysts were hyping that game up. I'm like, you can hype up the one play where he's trucking through people, but are we serious here? Like this guy went on an 0 for 11 streak as a college quarterback, (laughs) like against a college defense. Don't get me wrong. Florida state secondary really good last year. Like PFF had him in the top 10 as a unit, but I think it just shows that, like, draft evaluators, some of them put too much on physical traits. Uh, some put too much on the wow stuff someone does. And when you really dive into which quarterback brings the most to the table, you want ball placement, you want accuracy, you want timing, you want ability to throw to all three levels with different velocities on the football. And there's one quarterback in the draft who showed that consistently for two years and completely – like unbiasedly, like watching all these quarterbacks, because I, like you, didn't want to be this guy who's just yelling, CJ Stroud's the best quarterback in the draft. But I cannot find a moment or a physical thing that Stroud can't do that the other guys can. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and again, like I, I, I feel I need to like always I feel I need to always say this because somehow sports fans feel like when you criticize a player, you're saying that is bad, and when you compare players, only one can be good. Bryce Young is a really good quarterback, and if he can stay healthy, I think he has a good chance to be successful. Um, and that's why I didn't that's why I didn't talk much about his height and weight and that kind of stuff because I'm not trying to wish injury on nobody. I just talked about more some of his intangibles and things like that. If he can stay healthy. I I think it'd be pretty solid, but it's just like I just don't see the hype. I watched them together. I watched them play. I wish they could have played each other, but like I just didn't see it. I just didn't see it, and I didn't want to be a homer. Uh, and I don't think I'm being a homer. I, I really try to be um, objective with these kind of things. And I'm not even saying it's a huge, huge gap. I don't think it's a huge, huge gap, but I think it's close enough that the height and weight and the layering of throws should increase it. And I genuinely believe that maybe they're all bust, but if there's anyone that's going to be successful in this draft, it's probably going to be CJ Stroud. Yeah. You just look at all the past quarterbacks who were recently successful. Like I look at Joe Burrow and what he does in the NFL. I'm like, yeah, he's a little, he's a little bit crazier than Stroud. He's a little bit more, uh, risk over no that's the other way of saying it he's a risk taker like don't get me wrong um but when you look at the way they throw the football no one is gonna put them and say these guys are gonna win but yeah like an arm strength contest they're not gonna throw the ball the hardest they're not gonna throw the ball the furthest but you tell them to put it into a bucket like 40 yards downfield they're the two guys who are gonna be able to do it and that's like 
you look at the last four or five quarterbacks in the draft, and what it was the year the year with Baker Mayfield, you had Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson behind him, right? Um, I was right about Baker. Those guys ended up being <laughs> I was right about Baker. Yeah, Baker, Sam Darnold, the guys in front of those guys, like they don't do anything. They, they were the traits guys. They were like the look at Baker. He put all these stats up. Like cool. Like. Sometimes the traits work, sometimes they don't. And that's why I think when you really draft for floor, like you're going to end up better off at the quarterback yeah, position. And, so this is the last thing I'm going to say about it. Um, maybe I always say this and then I'm lying. One of the things that I think is the most interesting is how the NFL machine works, right? And everyone talks about how like um, – Everyone talks about how uh, Bryce Young is like a maniacal and how hard he works and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that that's not true. I just think it's funny that that they don't also say the same exact things about Stroud because it doesn't fit their narrative. Because we talked about it, how Stroud as a freshman was telling his senior wide receivers what they were going to do and breaking down film for them and texting them early in the week and saying, "I think you can, I think you can manipulate this, and I think you can take advantage of this." Because of how detailed his film study was as a first year starter to one Chris Olave, who was a three year starter essentially at that point, two and a half, and could have already been in the league. And uh, Garrett Wilson had already broke out, first year starter, and he's texting them and saying, We're going to take advantage of this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And here, Sure, I know yeah. that I'm an Ohio State fan. I didn't know the Bryce Young thing because I just don't hear that stuff up here. But the NFL should be hearing that about both, and they are hearing it about both. But I think it's interesting that they're only talking about the Bryce Young one. And it's like they're probably both maniacal about it. I'm not saying – I'm not trying to choose one or the other in this. But, like, you're talking about one, and, like, we have proof from two NFL wide receivers that – CJ Stroud was texting them throughout the week and saying, I was watching film. You're going to do this. We're going to do this. We have this check, et cetera, et cetera. And the last thing about this is what game was it? I don't remember. I don't remember what game it was. I just know that I tweeted, why is Ohio State not throwing slants? And then they started throwing slants. And I was like, oh, Ryan Day finally got it. And then it comes out and they're like, that wasn't that wasn't called. CJ Stroud was audibling and throwing hand signals because Ryan Day wouldn't throw a fucking slant. And it's like he also changes plays at the line of scrimmage and like does these intellectual things because they both do it because they're both really smart and talented quarterbacks. You just don't yeah. hear that about Stroud because it doesn't fit the narrative of Bryce Young being far and away the best quarterback in the draft. I just think that's crazy. It's the worst. The worst part about the narrative is it didn't start with NFL people. It started with college people and telling NFL people the, this. Listen, I listen to a lot of media. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I read a lot of stories, and I hate to say it, a lot of people in college don't know shit about football at all. And one of the worst, which is annoying because he's one of my, I won't say favorite, but I do enjoy listening to him, is Andy Staples. He gets a lot of these stuff. Like he does a podcast, Prospects to Pros, where he talks about college players going into the NFL. And it's crazy because he played football at Florida. He was a walk on, but whatever. He played football at Florida. He doesn't know shit about football. He doesn't, he doesn't know shit about football, and he played in college. Played his relative. He practiced in college. And I don't yeah. say that disrespectful. Yeah, he like, just he was a walk-on. He didn't play. He'll tell you that himself. And he doesn't know shit about football. And then you have other people who didn't even get to be 
in the meeting rooms and playing football and things like that, pushing these narratives on what they think is exciting and not what is actual real football. They couldn't tell you a play. They couldn't tell you what really happened. They just liked that he ran around, spun in circles, and threw a deep ball. And that's beautiful to watch, but like you can't do that every day in the NFL. It just doesn't exist. It just doesn't happen. No. The NFL is so like defined. Like what you do as a quarterback in the NFL is so defined. How like and Tom Brady wasn't the best this year. But how many times did Tom Brady spin and throw the football? Zero times, probably. And he won the most Super Bowls. The quarterbacks won. I mean, how many times does Patrick Mahomes do it? I've already used the example, but like Patrick Mahomes is a pocket quarterback. Like that is what he is. for one or two a game. And that's why he's the best. That's why he's the best. That's why him, Aaron Rodgers are in a class of like their own when it comes to just physical talent. Because when they need to, they can get away from people and make spectacular plays. But most of the but time, at their best they drop back when they're scanning into it. And that's just that, like as much as we are excited about where the game is going and these athletic quarterbacks and things like that, that is still the number one thing. And that is what, that is what yeah. again, that is what Justin Fields needs to do. And that is what Jalen Hurts did from last year to this year. And it helped that he got A.J. Brown and these other things. It's not entirely on that. But Jalen Hurts' biggest jump was in the pocket. He wasn't no. He was no longer yeah. just a running quarterback. He could operate from the pocket. It was wasn't just RPOs this year. It wasn't just like easy read type throws, one side reads. It was like, hey, we're going through progress. Like, and he's still like, they're never going to just not make quarterback go through progressions. That's not what we're saying. But like, the more they trusted him more, they trusted him more to do the quarterback things, and that's. Not something you have to do with C.J. Stroud. You don't have to trust him because no, he already does the, it. The thing with C.J. Stroud is you have to get him to run the ball. And, like, you can teach that. Yeah. Like you can, like – and, like, I say this because Ryan Day basically admitted it. He's the reason that Stroud doesn't run. Yeah, he's the reason Justin, Justin Fields didn't run as much. He led the league in rushing damn near. And he had 800 yards total in two seasons. And yes, I had that off the top of my head because it pisses me off every time I think about it. He had got outrushed by Trevor freaking Lawrence in a playoff game. Yeah, I will say the only the only thing I will say is the first year Justin Fields' backup was Gunnar Hoke. So you know what? (laughs) I'm okay with him not running. Okay, (laughs) that's fair. Uh, but yeah, let's let's. I think that's it. I don't think we need to really talk about the other guys. They're they're linemen. They're Diamond evaluations. The NFL does a pretty decent job with projecting those, and there's a lot of historical data on measurements alone that'll get you put in your draft range and then fill. And I think the rest. Dewan's going to be interesting when he runs. Paris Johnson Jr. is going to be a first round pick no matter what. Uh, Luke Whipler is probably going to be in the third or fourth round. So there you go. I have a real question on Luke Whipler. What is the lowest he can get drafted where it wasn't a mistake for him to leave after only three years? Because he was not expected to leave. They've been talking about that. Like that really fucked off. Fifth round, probably. I would say fourth. If he doesn't get picked in the fourth, he should have stayed. Because I think he would be one of the best players. I I, like best player, like he probably still could have been, but I don't think it would have like because he like it really just depends on if Teams think he could also play guard. 
if teams also think you play guard, he'll be a second through fourth round pick. If he's just a center, he was always going to be a fourth through six pick, six round pick. I feel like yeah, if he's not, I, if he's in the fifth or sixth round, he should have stayed. And I know that's hard to stay, say because you get your NFL clock started, you get your millions and like that kind of stuff, whatever. But like, I just feel like if you're not in the top, he's just round, not and, at. He's not in a value position though. Yeah. There might be four centers taken in the first day, like the first like two days of the draft. Like, and that's like kind of the hard part about it too. Cause like you can make a guard a center. Sometimes you can't make a center a guard. Yeah. It'll be very interesting to see where he goes. I think it's like, that's one of the, one of the coolest facts that I just have in general is that like he was a three year player and that, that, that literally never happens on the interior offensive line. I mean, and it's crazy. Like, Ohio yeah. State's going to have three back-to-back, three back-to-back-to-back three-year players because uh, Donovan Jackson's leaving after next year, and that's crazy. Uh, so um, that's going to yeah. be kind of shitty because they need to really hit the – that's a conversation for another day. But it, it's interesting that Ohio State's going to have three back-to-back three-year players uh, or in like five or 100%. six years because uh, – uh, Michael Jordan, that's not his name. It was it actually was Michael Jordan, right? Uh how many years ago? That was only a couple of years, right? Yeah, Fields, right? He was Fields his first year? Nah, Michael Jordan was before Fields. Oh um, honestly, Michael Jordan no, might have been. I'm sorry, not him. You're right. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Wyatt Davis. Wyatt oh, yeah. Davis was yeah. three and done too. Unfortunately, yeah. that hasn't worked out. But not, not every player is going to be a hit. Um, all right, let's get into my basketball take. We're going to talk basketball on the show because I'm on the cusp of, of take greatness. Like, this could be my greatest take of all time if it hits. So I'm going to pull up the tweet because I don't know where that window went um, when my internet shut down before the show. Um, but I really do think I was on to something here. I really do think that by the time we get to March, it's going to be dangerous. Oh, it is March. Sorry, guys. That was dumb. Um, here we go. Here we go. Give me one second. Here he is. Here he is. Um, all right. So I did the Chris Holtman long con. So let's get started. Hear me out. Line up the most winnable bracket win or lose games. Um, right now, Ohio State has to go through teams that they've already beaten. So they've won five conference games. The bracket right now includes every team they've beaten on the schedule. So that's step one. Great job, Chris Holtman. You know, optics, not the best, but sometimes I'm a 3D chess player myself. Um, start playing the young guys more down the stretch. So part of this was he was forced into it by Zed Key's injury and him opting for season-ending surgery. But the teams exploded with youthful exuberance. The guys lost a few games close, got that first win under their belt, and now they just housed Maryland and looked like a very productive basketball team. Um Start the young guys. Win a couple tournament games with young guys. All right. Um, This is the short con now. Um, They should win the whole tournament. Um, But if you win a couple games in the NCAA tournament, that would mean beating a team like Nebraska, beating a team like Illinois, beating a team like Indiana, all very respectable teams. 
Um, and then, you know what? You're playing for the Big Ten Championship. Could you make the tournament? Probably not. Like, because I don't think they're going to win the championship. That's not what I said. Uh, get hot enough to win the NIT. Sell youth development at end of season for excitement next year. We're like, we're like three steps into this already. So we've already lined up the most winnable bracket. They've already started playing the young guys more down the stretch. And now they just have to win a couple tournament games. And then they're hot enough to win the NIT. But I think my mind shifted. I'm off that. I'm not even thinking about the NIT anymore. I'm thinking this would be the most fun sports story of all time if Chris Holtman ripped off five games in the Big Ten tournament and won it. Because I know you're not the biggest basketball guy, college basketball guy, but you've seen the stuff. You've seen how many people want Holtman fired. Um, it's a lot. And could you imagine how fun Twitter would be the day Ohio State basketball won a Big Ten tournament after starting the year 11 and 17? <laughs> that would be hilarious. Um, I'm not a college basketball guy. I just I just cannot get into it. Um, but also, I think the most interesting, like, when I hear all the college basketball things, I just think about, like, what if it was Ryan Day and would people say the same thing? And they absolutely wouldn't. I understand that there's various varying levels of expectations between the program. It's just like a fun thing, like mental exercise that I do. But like, you gotta you gotta end the season strong, right? So if that happened, that'd be crazy. Uh, I think a lot. I'd be very interested to see if some people uh, walk back their take. I know that there's some people. Uh, at oh, I think it's who, who would um who would uh, uh, be rubbing it in people's faces, who who have been some some supporters oh, yeah. all year all year long. Yeah, There's some that. victory laps so, that we can uh, take. That's the word I was looking for, victory laps. But, yeah, so it would be very interesting. Um, I, uh, yeah. I had to stop watching Ohio State basketball because in, like, three years I've never seen them win a game. So I thought I was the curse, and I clearly wasn't because they kept losing. So, yeah. Well, I honestly, I blame the groundhog. Um, that's really where I think it started. Uh, actually, it started at the new year, so I blame 2023. But the year's not over yet. It is March, and they don't call it March not madness. They call it March madness. And what would be madder than a 13-17 and 17 basketball team finishing the year 18-17 and 17 as conference champions? Yeah. Nothing, nothing more mad than that in the world, you know, and I couldn't wait to see which like ACC or SEC team gets booted out of the tournament because of it. Oh, man, that's what I'm rooting for. And, you know, I think you were talking about takes and like a bunch of people with a real back. I think it's too late. I think there are some takes that are out there that are so stiff, that are so strong that you can't take it back. No chance. At this point, um, I think it was funny. I was listening to Mark Titus. I saw a clip on the internet, and it was him talking about winning the NIT. And it's like, like you can't really celebrate because it's the NIT, but like you're also kind of happy you didn't lose the NIT. True. And that was one of my favorite things because it is a weird tournament. Like they still play it. Um, one of my favorite books. Yes, I've read books before, guys. I know you might not believe it. Uh, this book called The City Game. It's about the City College of New York, and they won the NIT and the NCAA championship in the same year. That's some AAU team stuff that just doesn't happen anymore. 
But yeah, I think I think it's I think it's time. I think the projected pathway for Ohio State very favorable. Let me look at real quick. So we play Nebraska first. Um, after that, the Buckeyes would play uh, game three. So game one it would be game two winner. So we play the sixth seed, who right now is Illinois. Guess what? Ohio State just beat Illinois, so that's big. Um, and then after that, if they were to win that game, um, they would play the number three seed, which right now is Maryland. Guess what? Guess who they just beat? I would, I would like to venture so, Maryland. Yeah, it's Maryland. So then after that, you know, um, it's whoever is still standing. So I'm just I, – I, it's getting a little too crazy that this is lining up the way it is. Yeah, I'm I'm with it. Uh, I, I'm not a basketball, a college basketball fan, but I do support the Buckeyes. So if they can get it done, I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm incredibly excited for this take to keep living. Um, all right, let's get into our last topic of the day. Um, this one was interesting to me because um, for me, I think in for you, we just like assume. Not like not all coaches are like bad people, but there is a lot of like if you're gonna act like your coach doesn't bend the rules a little bit or try to push the line as much as they can in recruiting, then your team loses. That's just the facts. If you're not towing the line of the rules in recruiting, if you're not towing the line of Workouts and all that stuff, then you're not winning football games. That's a fact. You think Nick Saban recruits clean all the time? No. And that's the thing. So I got annoyed yesterday reading The Athletic last night. Uh, Urban My- Ari Washman sat down with Urban Meyer, and I thought it was a very well-written article. I thought it was a very insightful article because hearing a guy of Urban Meyer's experience talk about recruiting, one of the best to ever do it. Like, there's no argument. And people are like, well, he recruited dirty. And I'm like, where's the proof in that? That was my first thought. And then people are like, well, he's a bad person. I'm like, this article is not about him being a person. It's about him being a recruiter. And that, so I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, some insight from you on how you feel about, like, I, I'm sure you read the article. No, I actually have um, not read it yet. It's really I'm good. Going to uh, but there's so many there's so many haters, man. You know, like Urban Meyer, we know it. We know he is the most – he's an old-timey football coach. All the rules change for him. He is the man of the state of the – he's the highest-paid state employee, and it goes to his head, and he is a powerful person. Um, does he wield the power correctly at all times? Absolutely not, but not many coaches have. And one of these people in the comments was like, hey, Bear Bryant did not do these types of things. And I'm like, you're going to use Bear Bryant as an example to discredit Urban Meyer's character, the guy who didn't desegregate his football team until he was losing to segregated football teams or desegregated football teams. Sorry. Um, and he – like, you know, I, the Junction Boys looked that story up. That is crazy. I looked that up because some guy brought it up, and I was way beyond my time, college football historian stuff. But morals and college football have never lined up. Do you think Lou Holtz, when he was winning national championships at Notre Dame, was going with the full Catholic Ten Commandments right when he was recruiting players? 
all the honesty you need? Absolutely not. Um, it's just not real. So I don't get why people get so mad about it. There's a reason Dabo Sweeney. There's a reason Nick Saban. There's a reason these coaches uh, have won championships. And it is not by playing it safe. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, and here's the thing, right? I talk a lot of crap about Urban because – I, I can, um, and I'm easy target. Also, I'm fairly convinced that he's racist, and I'm also convinced that most college football coaches are racist. So, not that that's not unimportant, but the point that I'm getting to with all of this is he hasn't done anything bad enough where like you should like hate him, right? I don't think he's a good person, but I don't think most college football coaches are a good person, which is why personally. I got out of the industry. I was working my way into that, and I realized that they weren't good people, and I said, hmm, I don't really like this. But he's still one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's still going to be a Hall of Famer. He's still very smart. He turned around four programs, right? Bowling Green was a winner. Utah Basically built was, it was it was Utah, right? He built Utah. Like yeah. Kyle Whittingham was a coach right after Urban, right? Or not too far because Whittingham's been there forever. Yeah, he's been right after. He, he was Green Urban. Was a he was a coordinator yeah, for him. He was a winner. He built Utah, and you're still seeing some success with that with Kyle Whittingham. Florida hasn't been good since he left, and Ohio State won a national championship. And the biggest like pure coaching concern you can say about him is he couldn't get up for he could not get up for games that didn't matter and if he was in a 12 team playoff Ohio State probably would have like three national championships but he wasn't and so losing to Iowa and Michigan State cost him some playoffs and that is a stand on his resume I don't like that as a fan. I'm not happy about it. But like, if Urban was coaching Ohio State yeah. in a 12 team playoff, we probably would have three rings. He is good at his job. So, like, I don't want to hear nothing from Urban about like life and being a good person. Yeah. He, he doesn't need that. But he was on the Big Ten Network anymore. But if you're gonna yeah, talk he does not to him about that. football, that is the area that you can talk about. And, and 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 again, of the coaches that I dislike, he's not that high on the list because. Dabble Sweeney is absolutely racist and compared his players to airport luggage handlers when they were talking about money and freaking Jim Harbaugh is talking about like, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to get super political, but he's talking about anti-abortion rights and talking about he's going to raise his players' sons so that they don't have abortions. No, you're not. And you're a football coach. I don't want to hear your opinion on it. Shut up and go watch some film. So, like, I don't understand the hate. I think it's probably because he's successful. I'm not saying he's a good person. I'm not ever going to defend his character. Most successful people aren't always the best. But his ability to talk about something he was very successful at, I think is fine. Like, that's what he did. Yeah. It was good. He, like he turned Ohio State to an SEC like, program. When you ask him about any off-field questions, like because he got hammered with those for like yeah. months, like it's past. Like that's not a story anymore. Wanna, <laughs> we all saw it. Yeah, happened. I don't want to hear nothing about Urban from. I don't want to hear nothing from Urban about NIL. I don't hear nothing from. Yeah, Urban. Like if Urban's talking about how to maintain a healthy marriage, no, probably not the best thing. I don't want to hear that. I, I don't. <laughs> like if you're going to talk to him about recruiting, the thing that he was arguably the best at, like that's fine. I think it's a fair conversation. Especially in a game. Daryl Georgia fans are, I don't want to be that guy, but the same day that you're a best player, you know, the one we all defended for character concerns, right? 
and gets arrested for a car crash. And you're going to say, because, you know, the Florida Connection arrival, they're like, he was such a dirty guy. He ran a dirty program. Like, have you seen the Georgia arrest record since January after the national championship? It's not yeah. pretty. It is not. I mean, like, <laughs> and if you're thinking Kirby Smart's going to take some strong stand and make sure that they're losing He hasn't said anything. Yeah. He said there, like, there were some regretful things that happened, dudes. Dude, honestly, though, when we it comes back to it, when Brandon Miller, the Alabama basketball player, this is the epitome of most coaches in the United States. He was doing, uh, he was at a crime where a woman, a young woman, died, and he said the player that had text messages where a gun was transferred in a hat or something, um, and he said wrong place, wrong time. A coach said that. That's how disconnected to reality most major program coaches are. I wouldn't even and say they're disconnected from reality. I just think they don't care. They just want to win. I mean, literally, what's yeah. his name? Uh, who's the new Auburn coach? He has a job again. Like, Hugh Freeze. Yeah. And, like, once again, Hugh Freeze, incredible X's and O's guys. A decent recruiter, um, partially because when he was at Ole Miss, he did a lot of illegal shit recruiting. But – Come on, man. If you're like, it's like, it really is throwing college football, throwing stones at glass houses. Yeah. Like, are we serious? If you go around and it's like every coach, there's a reason. And we talked about this before. There's a reason coaches don't go after each other like Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban did, right? That's very rare because for they, one they reason. They know. <laughs> might need a job later. And number two, they know what you're doing, you know what they're doing. And if one person gets blown up, you're going to get shut down quick. You're either never going to work again because you speak out or you're going to keep quiet so you can get another job and keep I your mean, family. Doesn't the, doesn't the basketball coach who is running damn near a prostitution ring still have a job? Rick Pitino is still coaching, still winning conference titles. It's like I, I just think yeah. here's, here's my stance yeah, and, on all of this. One, don't idolize people. That's weird. Like it, it just is. Like just like relax on some of the idolization because people are human. Secondly, we can just accept that a lot of people in sports are not good people, and that's fine. They're almost always bad fathers. They're almost always bad spouses. They're typically not great people. It's a cutthroat business, and as long as you're not like. Killing, raping, murdering people, like things like that. I think we just have to accept that, like, we love a sport or sports in general that are slightly corrupt. It it, it sucks, but it's just true. Yeah. And if you can't get, you can't come to terms with that, I fully understand. You probably shouldn't be a sports fan. I'm I, like, and this is why I don't like people in the sport. Right? I like the sport. I don't get hype over. A, coaches and things like that because I understand that they're probably not good people. I mean, it is literally a running joke that NBA players and different athletes and stuff, they they sleep with multiple women when they're on, when they're traveling in away games and, and those kind of things while they have a significant other at home, while they have kids at home. These people aren't all good people. Just like the sport. Just don't buy into the person. Unless they do yeah, something truly reprehensible, like, you know, Kirk Ferentz, who was running an actual racist program and got people fired. 
Oh, and he didn't want Literally, to fire the like guy. It, it, didn't, it had to come out that they were running a racist program. So it's just like, listen, man, <laughs> he's talking about recruiting. And then Urban Meyer tried to hire Yeah, which is why I say Urban Meyer is racist. Um, but he's talking about recruiting, man. He's not talking about police brutality. He's not talking about being a good person, being a good spouse. He's talking. Yeah, I'm talking about where about January six. <laughs> singularly about accumulating talent, and that fine, that is okay. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It's one of those things, and that's where I I, I get lost with it. Is like, like I remember. Well, Miami fans were all mad that like John Ruiz, the mega booster, was getting in trouble for paying women's basketball players money to play at Miami. And I was like, you know, like I'm sure this is not a one off. And I actually kind of think Miami fans are not too far off saying that they're getting really screwed by this as like a school who's going to be. It's like one where there's a recognizable name to it and not a recognizable enough name that people are going to fight for them or does we all know Miami doesn't have the biggest fan base in the world. Um, I don't have the biggest, they don't have the most money. Um, and it's an easy target. Honestly, they have a history and I think there is a lot like this. There's like the whole NIL era is dirty. Like if we're being honest, like now it's just it's not even and that's the one thing. Remember when everyone's like NIL is gonna make everything above grade? It's not above grade. No one knows what's going on. Yeah. Exactly. And again, like I you know, I'm sure there are maybe some people that are tired of me interjecting myself. And I wish that I could find this article, but I vividly remember reading an article where coaches were granted anonymity and them talking about the bag man. Coaches talking about I came to a job and my first day on the job, people handed me a ledger saying these are the these are the players that I was that were paying. And one of the coaches was like, Fine, we'll finish paying them, but we're not gonna pay anyone else. And within two years, he was fired. Talking about cars and money, like these aren't rumors. This stuff actually happened. It is. It is. It is it's a corrupt sport, like most sports are. It just is. It's, yeah. It, as long as Eric Dickerson's not driving the uh, Trans Am, like in front of everybody. Right, okay. Like, come on. Like, Urban Meyer recruited dirty, but every Alabama player gets a Camaro. I mean, like, like if we're going to go down this rabbit hole, what is one of the memories that most people we know, especially our age and a little older, idolize? They idolize the U. What do people seemingly forget about the U? All of the drugs and the crime and the criminal cases that came out of that. Sure, that era has like 10 Hall of Famers. They have Ed Reed and Reggie Wayne and all of these guys and, and all of this kind of stuff, right? Yeah, they have that, of course. And you can talk about that, and that's great. But you forget about the bag man, Evan Shapiro, I think his name. And why do I know his name, right? like I knew his last name at least you forget about the parties and the the players getting caught with guns and things like that like people are human they make mistakes like but we still idolize the you there's two 30 for 30 documentaries it gets talked about all the time anytime anything happens at Miami they're like oh they're bringing you back they're bringing you back they have two Hall of Fame coaches who were literally ignoring the bad men and the, the crimes that their players were committing and it's he just like we're freaking like boxing. They were forcing freshmen to fight in the middle of the locker room. <laughs> like 
People are acting like college football is a pure sport. It's, it's not. The sport's hard. It's a violent sport. It has violent people playing it. That's just the and truth. And unfortunately, where a lot of these got players come from, they come from violent neighborhoods, and sometimes they have that. I don't judge them for that. I don't think you should judge them for that. Like so, There are some players who genuinely come out of tough environments and use it to change their life. And then there are others like a, Aaron Hernandez like, who unfortunately of, can't escape it. And like we know yeah, what happened he, with him, but he couldn't escape his environment despite the fact that he was making millions. Getting People away are from human. Like, and I, I apologize. I'm not trying to like you know poor Aaron Hernandez. I, I understand that people died in that in that, but I'm just saying like that stuff happens, right? Like. You don't like these people weren't perfect and you just don't get to erase their history and their past and where they come from and their mental makeup and all these other kind of things because you like them because they play or coach or sport you. They they score touchdowns on Saturdays like you don't know what goes on once they leave the field, once they leave the press conference, you know, you just don't. and that's that's the same with coaches. And, like, I think to put a bow in this, I think it's hysterical the vitriol Urban Meyer gets compared to some other coaches. And, you know, you know it had, like, because me and you were probably some of the tougher people on Urban on that around Ohio State. And for me to, like, come on a show and really start defending him in, like, the way that's not really defending, like, I'm just like, he's a bad person, but that doesn't mean all these other people are yeah. bad people. It doesn't like, mean he's not allowed to ever talk again. I literally, like, you know this, yeah, it was on this show. I went through, like, a five-week stretch where I mentioned something negative about Urban, and I had to purposely make myself stop. Because it just kept coming up. And I was like, this is like, like, I need to like stop being so negative. People are going to stop listening to the show. Like, yeah. And I, I'm still thankful for the seven years and like multiple years of my college experience were because of Urban Meyer football teams. Like, it was an incredible time. Two out of my three years, Urban Meyer was the head coach. So, it like I grew up in Utah for a little bit. He was the head coach at Utah. It was an incredibly fun time. So, like, Urban Meyer has been a very impactful figure in my college football fandom and my college football life, but I can still acknowledge as a human, he has made mistakes and doesn't mean I won't listen to him about recruiting because guess what? I come on. I mean, we all were reading those stories about Nick Saban's daughter. Like at least Urban's family likes him. Man. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like I think you said it best when like idolizing figures around, like whether it's uh, coaches, players, actors, any type of people with any celebrity, it's like it's it's a dangerous road to travel. And I, it's like why I always think, and I'm pretty sure you're probably in the same boat as this. Like the people who just so closely follow the lives of celebrities and know everything about them. I think that's insane. No, I've said it a bunch and I'll say it again. People are human. And just because they're good at one thing or they're rich or they're powerful or whatever does not inherently make them a good person, but it also doesn't inherently make them an evil person. And I, I don't think Kerbin, Urban 
should ever be allowed to coach college football again. I just don't because I think he has a power dynamic with the, like young kids that is not great. And some of these stories that ex urban players say on podcasts sounds like some trauma where he would literally walk into the hallway and say, who are you? You're not good enough to be here. I don't think he should coach again, but like, again, he's talking about recruiting. He's old. He's from an older era. That's just kind of how some things work. Just don't hire him again. Like that's like, that's the line. The line is not he can't talk about articles and he can't talk about the things that he's good at. The line is don't hire him to run your program again. Yeah, there's no problem. I have no problem with him being on big new kickoff, honestly. Like, no problem with it. But, yeah, I don't think – and it feels like – most of the AD surveys and all the stuff that people do where they ask around are like, would you hire this person? And the answer is no. Uh, but, you know, college football programs get desperate, and I'm going to say it. He wasn't great in the NFL, but I'm sure if he built the plan and had the recuperation that he tends to need every once in a while, um, he'd win a, he, he could still win a conference championship in college yeah, football. Someone's going to hire him again. They just shouldn't. But they also shouldn't have hired yeah. Hugh Freeze, and they also shouldn't have hired some of these other people. And yeah, you can't like Urban's not even in the same ballpark yeah. as Hugh Freeze, and that's saying something. But still, you shouldn't hire him. They will, but you shouldn't because he is. He, despite all of the things that we've said, he is not a good person, and I would not trust him with my seventeen-year-old. I wouldn't want him to have a conversation with my seventeen-year-old. Like I, I just wouldn't. But you know, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, last thing, final thoughts for the day. Uh, Mike Morris, Michigan edge rusher, said their pass rush you. Name them. Name them. They have three rookies of the year at the pass rushing position. They have three all pros at the pass rushing position in the last five years. No, they don't. Hutchinson was good. I like Aiden Hutchinson. I think he's he was fun to watch on the line, but they're not pass five rushing. Years to figure it they're out. not even close. Also, I yeah. would just like to say I know not, you won the Big Ten Defensive Lineman of the Year award, and it's because for some reason the entire like line was down. But bro, you had seven and a half sacks in fourteen games. Like. Eh. <laughs> That's not that great. Yeah. Like, like, I understand he had more than what we had. Like, sure, he had a decent year, but, like, that's not that's not that great of a year for you to be talking. Like, nobody's talking about you as a first-round pick. Like, you're probably going to get picked in the third or fourth round. Like, you should relax. Yeah. He was tied for second in sacks with seven and a half. Um, I don't think he wants to compare stats. He had seven and a half last year. Guess how many he had his entire career? Uh, like 15. Eight. Well, that uh, yeah, gave me, uh, me a little chuckle there. <laughs> like, sure, he broke out funny. last That's year. Funny. I wasn't ready he didn't do anything any other year in his career. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, come on, bro. Relax. Like, honestly, like, don't even get me wrong. Ohio State didn't have like elite edge rushers last year, but I see more Ohio State guys in the top twenty than Michigan guys. Yeah, I mean, he had more sacks than Zach Harrison had in any singular season, and Zach Harrison's going to get drafted before him. 
Yeah, and like Zach Harrison at three and a half sacks, Javante Jean-Bat Peace at three and a half sacks. Like, if you look at the top 50, there is more Ohio State than there is more Michigan. So, and that's down here. So, Mike Morris, uh, he, I don't know what this is, but critical thinking skills, uh, he's moving down my track. Yeah, I, I, I will say, I think it's funny that some Michigan fan, like, commented on some things on Twitter and they're like, they're not good. They're never good in the league. And I'm like, and the response was hilarious. It was like, oh, I can tell you only get local games. The reigning defensive player of the year is an Ohio State Buckeye, bro. What do you mean they're not good in the league? Yeah, like you can go all the way back to Cameron Hayward. And name 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 a pass rusher from Ohio State that wasn't good in the league. Chase Young got injured, but he was good his rookie year. Joey Bosa gets injured way too much. I just don't even understand. But he's always good. When he's healthy, always he's dominant. always he's good. He's dominant, which is why they gave him that money. Like you can't name a pass rusher from yeah, Ohio so State that went to the league and wasn't good. For their one Aiden Hutchinson, they've gotten like the last two. They have Frank Clark too, but like Frank Clark's a playoff guy. He doesn't do it a lot during the regular season. Like I mean, but like so it's like two to like yeah, seven. I mean, right? Sam like, Hubbard is one of the best players on the Bengals roster, and I'm not gonna say he was an afterthought because like I feel like I hate doing a true fan thing, but I feel like true fans appreciated him. But Sam Hubbard was essentially an afterthought, and he's one of the best players on the Bengals defense. As a pass rusher. Yeah, 100%. 100%. It's, it's one of those things where I, he said that, and I knew it was going to get taken every direction possible. And there is no arguments here that Michigan fans have. Like, besides, like, and you know it's bad when they're saying, well, two in the last two years. Uh, that means you're wrong. So, yeah. Uh, have fun. It's yeah. draft season. And it's like they, they got a little they got a little over their head because they've had a nice little run. They have um Quiddy Pay and then they had David Ajabo and they had Aiden Hutchinson. But none of them Aiden and Ajabo put up numbers, right? Quiddy Pay didn't put up numbers. Mike Morris didn't put up numbers. You go down the list of pass rushers recently that they've had, most of them did not put up nope. numbers. Uh, Rashawn Gary did not put up numbers. Absolutely not. And he worked his way into a great, like, a, I won't say great, but like, he's a solid pro, a yeah. Pro, but like, that even took three years. He wasn't good the first two years of his career. Yeah. It, it's, it's funny. I love, I, that is one of my favorite things about like young athletes is, the general lack of self-awareness. It's just like you just don't. Because you got to think, this is, this is the first time. So the first process, you know, a guy like Mike Morris, high school, best player on his team, absolutely, probably without a doubt, right? Gets recruited, goes to Michigan, plays early, right? One of the best players on his team this year. The first, like, eight years of important years of his football career, it's all praise. And now it's a draft time. And this is when people get torn down the first time. And I really think that impacts a lot of players as they go to the next level. And I, I feel like it's going to be coming for some of these guys. Uh, and no pass for you. Um, Maisie Smith didn't put up numbers. I mean, he had a number of bullets on his car. But uh, outside of that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't see. Uh, let me let me type in Smith. Oh, oh Nope, not on here. Zero, zero on the control F. Um, so Tommy, Tommy Eikenberg had more sacks than, than Maisie Smith, who's going to be a second round pick. Crazy. But 
hey, pass rush you. That's what they say. You know, Penn State low-key had some pass rushers is what I'm seeing here. Good for them. Uh, didn't do anything. I just – so this will be my last thought, and then we can get out of here. I love how Penn State dominated 10 teams on their schedule. 12 or 11, including Utah, but – Man, they got killed by the two that mattered most. <laughs> Literally. Oh, man. Like, I have some opinions on Penn State, and um, I think that they're a year early in their uh, praise of what they're I going to do this year. This year, I'm not worried about Penn State. The following year, when Ohio State goes back to Happy Valley, that that could be, that could yeah. be trouble. But not this year. Um, not this year, no. This year, Ohio State's going undefeated in the national championship. You heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, guys. Ohio State undefeated national championship. But yeah, it, uh, that's it for me. You guys follow me at Chris Rennie CFB. You can follow the show at Buck Off Pod. Uh, Jordan, where you can find uh, you? You can find me on Twitter at uh, Jordan W three three zero. And if you're listening to this on Friday, uh, wish me luck on my exams. So thank you. I appreciate it in advance. Uh, Good luck, children. <laughs> that was the fans. They were just- I heard it. I appreciate the love. I'm going to get this because right. of that. But, yeah, I, I, we'll see you guys. See you guys next week.